Greetings to each one here this morning. It's a real blessing to be here. It's a blessing to see you all, and it's a real blessing to see Brother Ron back. Bless you, brother. Glad you made it back. I know you've put on an awful lot of miles in the last month, and it's good to see you back home again. Appreciated those verses, Brother Ezra, that you read. And the next words say, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. Isn't that just, if we study that chapter, isn't that just such a blessing, such a safeguard against sin? I just love that. This morning for a short opening, I'd like to turn to Psalms 127. The title of this little opening is, Children, a Reward from God. And this morning, primarily, I would like to speak to the children. And I realize that all of us are children. If you study the word children in in the Old and New Testament, it's used thousands of times. And a lot of times it's to the children of Heth or the children of Israel or the children of, the children of whoever. But there's many times that even in the New Testament where it is addressed directly to infants and young children. And surely children are a tremendous blessing. You children are such a vital part of our fellowship. Our fellowship would be a dying fellowship, was it not for you children? You children are so important. If we were to if we were to tell every child to leave here this morning, saying a child saying from 18 years and down, over half of our group would just diminish, at least half of you in number. So you children are a very, very important part in the Church of Jesus Christ, in the Church of Zion here in, in Wellman, Iowa. You children are the backbone. If I may say it that bluntly, you are the backbone of the church of tomorrow. You children, listen to me children, you children, what you learn and what you practice and what you are and what you become will be what Zion Christian Fellowship is in 25 years. And that is a very, very awesome thought when you think about that. Psalms 127, in verse 3, it says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. So are children of the youth. And happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, and they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You children are like the arrows of this church. And every now and then, we put one of those arrows in our bow and we send them to Africa. And we send one to Haiti. We send one to Florida. We send one to over there and we send one over here. And we know that you will hit the mark. Because we've aimed you and we've guided you and we've sent you. You're important. 
One day, as you grow older, as you mature, as, you, as you're in training right now, when, when your parents take you by the arm and gently take you downstairs and, and apply the rod of correction because of some, some misdeed you have done, they are training you and guiding you so one day you will hit the mark when you are sent far away from home as an arrow and you will glide through the air and you will hit the mark only because someone loved you enough to guide you and direct you and help you form your character and sharpen your arrow and make that thing straight and guide it through the air so that when you fly through the air, you will hit the mark. You are so important. Arrows, a hunter, an Indian hunter without arrows would have been, he would have died of starvation. And so will the church without arrows. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. And happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And I should say happy is the church that has a quiver full of children. And I bless you children. You are, you are our arrows in the quiver here this morning, if I can say it that way. <clears throat> you children have more faith than us adults do sometimes. You're free of a lot of doubts. You are free of a lot of fears. I've seen children try things that adults would never try because the adults have the wisdom, and, but we're also, we may be more fearful of things and children would just walk right out over the ice, you know, or, or whatever. But also the children sometimes, I think maybe uh, within the absence of fears, children are maybe a little more bold to just say, you know what? I believe that's the way it is. If you go to 2 Kings, I'm not going to turn there, but in chapter 5, verse 2, where this little maid was taken as a slave from Israel, and she was taken over to Syria, and she became the slave to wait on Naaman's wife. And Naaman was the host, uh, the captain of the host, or the captain of the army, and his wife had this little Israelite slave for her little slave to do her work and to wait on her. And this mighty man of, of valor, this mighty man of the, the captain of the host had leprosy. It's a deadly disease. You can't live around other people. It's probably the most de devastating thing that could have happened to the captain of the host is to come down with leprosy. And this little girl, she was taken away from her parents. She could have been angry. She could have been whatever. You know what she said? You know what? If, if my Lord, she called him her Lord or her master, it says, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She just knew that if, if she could just be around Elisha, uh, he, he could get healed. You know what? If I would have been over there, I said, well, you know, maybe. But this is not a man of God. I mean, what if God wouldn't wanted to heal Naaman? What, what if it didn't work for him? I don't think I would have told Naaman to go over to Syria. 
But this little girl had the faith and the confidence in Elisha and in the God that Elisha served that she just knew. You know, if, if, this, if this guy would go over there, I mean, he'd be healed. And I just read that and I said, you know, what faith that little child had. <clears throat> I met a man in Alabama one time at a prison. And this was a pastor from some church. I don't know where he was from. He was a man that traveled around a lot and did a lot of evangelism. He preached in a lot of churches, and he would go up to a lot of prison crusades. And in his testimony, he shared his testimony with me there one time, or maybe even with the group. But he said there was a day when he had a deadly cancer. And he knew that his days were numbered if he didn't get healed. And so wherever he would go to preach whatever he would tell the people, you know what, you, you can pray for me because I have this thing in my body and it's, gonna, it's not good and it's not going away and, and I need your prayers. And he was in this church in, I think it was Oklahoma somewhere, and he had asked the congregation if someone would pray for him for healing for his cancer. And he expected that brothers like Ron and Earl would come up and lay hands on him, you know, the, the, the learned men that could pray and really seek God and, you know, lay hands on him and pray. And he said, a little boy come up the aisle, maybe eight, ten years old. And the little boy said, Jim, Brother Jim, I'm going to pray for you. And he said, his first thought was, well, well, let's get on with this so we can get Earl up here to pray for me. And the little boy comes up, and he kind of reached up and put his arm around his, his back. And he started reciting the Lord's Prayer, probably the only prayer the little boy knew. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and he just thought, you know, <laughs> is that all you're going to say, you know? And he said, about right there, thy will be done. He said, I felt something go through my body. And I was healed right there by the prayer of this little boy that I almost despised when he came up and he was wanting to pray for me for healing. I still get this brother's newsletter. And I and that's probably been over 15 years ago when that happened, and he's cancer-free as far as I know to this day. Don't ever despise the prayers of a child is my point. And children, don't ever be so shy as to not pray because God hears the prayers of a child. I'm just convinced of that. I had a first cousin... He was a, I have a first cousin that is a missionary in Mexico, and they could have no children. They went, they were married the same year we were, and uh, they soon were on the mission field in Mexico, are still there, and could not have biological children of their own. So they adopted a little girl from Mexico, Amanda was her name, or is her name. And Amanda, when she was about six or eight years old, she longed for a baby sister. 
And they had read her the story of Daniel, how Daniel went to his window and he prayed three times a day to his God. And little Amanda said, you know what? I'm going to do that until God sends us a baby sister. And she found her a little place somewhere in the house and she got on her knees and prayed three times a day for a baby sister. And it wasn't long after that to where they were expecting a child and then soon another. And they had two more little girls after Amanda started praying three times a day and she wasn't 10 years old yet. Isn't that wonderful? How God cares so much and pays so much attention to the prayers of a child. <clears throat> when we lived in Pikeville, we had a family there that had a had a, a little daughter, and she was a special needs little girl. She had RSV real bad when she was quite young, as a baby, and it affected her thinking. Her brain didn't quite function normally after that. Her body was normal, but her brain was not quite normal. <clears throat> and we were there at their house one Sunday afternoon after lunch, and she comes up to me just as serious as a heart attack. And she comes up and she whispers to me. She says, Brother Darrell, do you have any cucumbers? I said, why? And she said, well, I heard that if you take cucumber juice and you put it on your head, your hair will grow. And if you don't have any cucumbers, we will give you some. And that was very humorous to me because being bald didn't bother me, but it, just, it, it was something that would have totally distressed this little girl if she had to lose her hair like I did. And she had the remedy, and she had the faith. And I kind of brushed it aside, and I said, oh, Janita, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't bother me not to have hair. But you know what? Thinking back, because of the faith of that little girl, if I would have tried her remedy, I'd probably have more hair than Daryl Beachy does today. Because of her. I didn't try it. I, it didn't bother me at that time. As if, what's, a, what's hair to a 50-year-old? You know, I mean, I don't see that I'm bald. And it doesn't bother me, but it, it really bothered her. But the point I wanted to make is she was so confident and she was so serious that if I would try her remedy, it would work. And I'm sure she would have prayed to that end. <clears throat> There's a situation in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record this, where people brought their little children to Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 13, it's, it says that they, they brought the children and wanted Jesus to touch the children. <clears throat> and it says that he laid his hands on them, Matthew 19, verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and thence, and departed thence. And if you go to Mark chapter 10, 
it says, it's probably referring to the same account, but it's just a little bit different there. And they brought young children to him and that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. When Jesus saw the disciples rebuking the people, it it grieved him. He says he was much displeased. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he added, he said, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands upon them and blessed them. And as I I looked at these three accounts, in Luke it calls them infants. And here it says little children. But there's three points here that I'd like to make that is really clear to me is it was Jesus' desire that the little children would come to him. Another point is that he had lots of time for the little children. And also, he was displeased at those that kept the little children away. And I just thought, you know what? Jesus would have a wonderful time sitting here this morning. He'd probably have his lap full of little children. Which of you little children would like to go sit on Jesus' lap if he sat right up here in the second row right here? Uh, we'd probably have takers all over the room that want to come and sit on his lap. In fact, I might, I'd want to at least sit beside him. In Matthew 18, verse 1, it says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Here are the the old folks all talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, okay, Felix, one of you boys, come up here. Set up here. Now, everybody look. This is the great guy. This is the guy that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And who shall receive one such a little one in my name receiveth me. And then he goes on to make a really serious statement. In verse 6 he said, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I don't think we can grasp the reality of that verse until we know what a millstone is and we see one. I've seen them in different museums down in the Smoky Mountains. Down in the south, there's quite a lot of the old millstones. And then things are a rock, and a lot of them are this big around, and they're at least this thick. And they were in a thing that two of these stones ground together, 
and there was somehow the corn went down through the middle and worked its way out between these rocks and that's how they ground their feed and they weigh anywhere from two to three to four to five hundred pounds a piece even a small one would have taken you to the bottom of the ocean in a hurry and he says it were better for him that he had a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea, it would be better for you to have one of those big rocks tied on your neck than if you offend a child. See, children, how important you are, how much Jesus is displeased about someone that offends you. Doesn't that just show you how important you are to Jesus? Jesus would rather they would take me and put a big rock around my neck and throw me in the middle of the sea than for me to be mean to you or to offend you. That's pretty serious, brothers and sisters. You children are very, very important. it's kind of sad really in a way because most of us we have our children when we're young we're struggling financially we're in a hurry we have lots to do we have manure to haul we have corn to plant we have houses to build we have money to make we have bills to pay we have debts over our head we have this We have traveling to do. We have this and we have that and we have sermons to preach. And and our children are little in those days. Ah, I'm studying. You can't bother me. I got to go. I got to build this house. I got to go. We got this. We got, I don't know how many million gallons of manure you haul, brother. And that's all right and good, but you know what? Don't ever offend one of your little children because of these busy things that we have. Our children are so important. And if we offend them, God would rather that we were thrown in the depth of the sea. Or or at least he would rather we didn't even get the house built. Or we didn't get the manure hauled. Or we didn't get the dogs fed. Or we didn't get the corn planted. Or we didn't, maybe even didn't get the uh, the sermon preached rather than offend one of you children. Then when we get a little older and our children are are grown, and we can still be a blessing to them, but nothing changes, nothing repairs the offense to a little child when they're young. They never forget it. You can patch it up. You can make it up. You can patch over it, but it's still there. And my, my, uh, my plea this morning is, as you have little children, look beside you, look in your arms, and don't forget that they're so important to God and they need to be as important to us. That's one thing that I wish I could go back and relive the days when my children were on my lap like your children are here this morning or your little boys sit beside you 
or your little girls sit beside you. I love my children and I love the stage that they're in, but that infant stage is gone for us. We made a lot of mistakes. We did the best we could, but we made a lot of mistakes. Would I do it over? I would in a heartbeat if I could, but I can't. But are, are our children important? Yes, they are. They're, more, they're as important to us now than, than they were then, or, but, or whatever. We love our children. But there's something that is such a sweetness of the infant stage. It's just, it just it vanishes so fast. It vanishes so fast. But children, we want you to know that you are very, very, very important. Not only in your homes, but you are very important on the seat where you're sitting here in church this morning. Again, I say, you are the arrows that one day the church will, will fire and send to Africa and Haiti and Indonesia and, and where not all. One day we may put you in there and just let you fly all the way over to Nigeria. and we know we know that one day you will speak with the enemies in the gate maybe here even in Wellman, Iowa we appreciate all of our children I've, I've thought many times and I've wanted to do this and I haven't done it but I'd like to make a list with a picture of each of you children so that I know this one's name is this, and this one's name is that, and this one's name is this. I can't remember all you children's names. I know who Andrew is. I know who Micaiah is. But I, I still have a little trouble with, with all of Vernon's boys and Marcus's boys. I get them mixed up, and I've seen them a lot. But the girls just elude me. I, and I should know your names, but I don't. And I think it's important that we would memorize and know the names of our little ones in our fellowship. I think we should know them. We should bless them. We want to bless you children. We want to know your names. We want to be able to walk up to a little girl and greet her and say, how are you? Uh, I think you're Mary or no, you're, no, no. Alicia, no, I don't know. It's just too many to memorize. But it's not. If we take an interest in someone, we can know who they are. We can memorize their name. And it's so important for a little child if you walk up to them and say their name. It just does something that never goes away. Thank you, children, for being here this morning. And bless you.